Matthew 28, we're going to begin in verse number 16 this morning. You have uh, been with us for the last several months. I've been on a good Friday and went through the end of chapter 27. It was Easter Sunday, we got to begin part of Chapter 28, so we come to the last five verses here of the Gospel of Matthew. Again, in verse 16, it says these words, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, they worshipped him, to some doubt. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the word of the Lord this morning, we have, like I said, I come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I was looking, and if you're new here, I'll just let you know we started this journey uh, at Christmas time of 2016, and for the last several years, I've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, especially in the springtime. Come finally to the last few verses, so in a couple weeks, your Bible probably won't open to the Gospel of Matthew. Hopefully, you, you can remember where all the other books are because you have to find a new one. So. <laughs> but in this book, we have attempted to focus, or we have attempted, I should say, through a journey through this Gospel to point out the fact that, G, that Matthew focus is on the fact that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king. All right, this is what his gospel is trying to relate to, trying to focus on, is the kingship of Christ and the fact that Matthew is the promised Messiah, the one that they were looking for. And of course, there were problems with him being the king of the Jews. He was not the king like they expected. They wanted a earthly king, a royal king, a king who would come and overthrow the Roman government, a king who would exert power, king and majesty and authority, a king that would restore the greatness of the kingdom of David, restore, make Israel the great power that it was during the time of David, Solomon. And of course, the kingdom of God is presented and has shown to be something entirely different. We often call it an upside-down kingdom. Kingdom not of this world. Kingdom where things are backwards. A, thing, a kingdom where what we would expect is totally different. In the kingdom of God, the last are those who are the first. Those who would be first 
for those who will be last. The kingdom where greatness is achieved not from power and strength and might, but rather through service. And he who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven must, of course, be the servant of all. This didn't make sense, and it still doesn't make sense to our world, I think. As you look at people who are searching for power or attempting to deconstruct and grab a hold of the ring of power, surely what Tolkien saw when he wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit is so ever true. We want that power as humanity. Still, people try their best to grab it. But here we are, come to the end of this book, the king is on the verge of going to his rightful place on the throne of heaven. He has accomplished all that he had set out to do, all that the Father had given him to do. He has defeated death, hell, the grave. He is alive and now lives forevermore. He is going to be seated at the right hand of the Father in all authority and power and majesty. Yet as he is on the verge of ascending into heaven, his followers are left here on earth. But before he goes, we read these last words. The king where Jesus leaves, the commission for his disciples, the commission for his followers to fulfill until he comes again. A commission, a charge, if you would, a commission is is defined as an authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. It's defined as a charge. Of course, we refer to these words at the ending of Matthew as the Great Commission. The commission that the king has given to his followers until he comes again, the charge that he has given us to fulfill until time when he returns. Now normally you would hear a sermon on these words. Hopefully I'm not tuned out already, but you would hear a sermon that would challenge you to go to a mission field. To go and give your life in service. Perhaps it would be a missionary that is here who come and say, hey, you need to go and serve. You need to go and Give your life for the Lord. And, and, and certainly that is part of what these words mean. And, and we'll get into that a little bit. But today I want to I look at a couple of different aspects that aren't necessarily addressed when you read or hear sermons on this section of Scripture. And so to give you my three points right up front, if you want to write them down and be done with them, you can leave, I guess, if you want. No, don't do that. <laughs> we'll go through them again as we go through the slides here. But my three points are this. I want to talk about the premise of the commission, the practice of the commission, and then the promise of this commission. Premise, the practice, and the promise. So to set this up, though, let's take a look at verse number 16. Told these words, the eleven disciples went to Galilee. They went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Then, you know the story, Jesus resurrected on Easter morning and he begins to appear to the disciples and various others. Jesus comes here and he tells them all 
Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in Matthew 28, verse 18. Luke gives us a different account when he tells us in Acts 1, 3 that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so we have Easter Sunday for 40 days after that until Ascension Day, normally observed on a Thursday. He came and he spoke to them. He offered them many proofs. He showed them that he was alive, that he was resurrected, and that this kingdom was now being inaugurated. The kingdom of God was here. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was buried, that he was raised on the dead in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Peter, or to Cephas, then to the twelve. Verse 6, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some followed asleep. And he appeared to James and to all the apostles. So in this 40-day period, Christ has gone around and shown himself real as men with various apostles that have proven as much as he can that he is indeed alive, that he is risen began to instruct them about what is going to happen in this kingdom. They began to finally grasp it, finally understand it. I realized what Jesus had been saying for three years. But we go back here to verse 17. Matthew 28, it says this, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, some doubted. Some doubted. Now the word doubt here Maybe more than just the idea of, I don't know whether it's true, but maybe more the idea of hesitating. In other words, some worshipped him, while some in this crowd were, were hesitant to worship. They were, they were not really sure. They, they fully, maybe, did not fully understand, I should say, still who he was, or maybe a little unsure if this is really him in the flesh. They were a little bit hesitant about who this one was and, and were just a little reserved about giving his whole and entire life to him. I like this according to one commentary I read this week that said these words. It said perhaps they were not sure that the person they were seeing was the one who was crucified. Perhaps they were not sure that Jesus really was risen. They may have wondered whether they were seeing a mission on a real person. Perhaps they were not sure that it really was Jesus who was before them. We must bear in mind that they were not alone in having difficulty in recognizing Jesus. Now the two who walked with him on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 did not recognize him. The disciples in the boat in John 21 did not recognize the risen Jesus on the shore. In any case, the commentary goes on. As we may ask, who has perfect faith? We should bear in mind that one of the eleven, Thomas, not only doubted but gravely denied the resurrection and told him by the tears. Surely it's not surprising when the whole body of the followers of Jesus knew that he had been crucified, they had died, that he had been buried in a sepulchre. Some should have difficulty with the thought. He was alive again. So doubt is there. The hesitancy. Is there. 
He struggled to, to fully grasp what was going on in there, and yet Jesus meets him here on this mountain and offers the following words. And so we begin my first point there, the premise. The premise of the commission. What is this premise? The word premise conveys the idea of a proposition that is used to support a conclusion. In other words, what is the underlying foundation, the underlying argument for this commission, for this charge from the Lord? We can do all we want to. We can give charges all we want to in life. But there is not a foundation of premise. Charge has very little power behind it. What is the, the premise of this commission, this great commission that Jesus gives us? Why can we go out and fulfill this commission and tell the nations that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one you're looking for? Commission is found in verse 18 that I've already read to you where Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You want to know why this commission has weight to it? You want to know why the commission has something to it? That we can walk out of this church with confidence and go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason it does is because Jesus has all authority. He is the king. He is in charge. He has the right to rule and reign. Those words there from Psalm 46 are, are so powerful. The nations rage, and yet before God, they fall and they tremble because they are nothing to the one who has conquered the world. Death, hell, and the grave, the sea may rage, the sea may roar, the sea may toss about and, and throw its fury and its power. And yet the sea is nothing before the one who can look at it and say, peace be still. You see, we too often skip over this truth that Jesus Christ is the one who has all authority, all power. The Greek word is exousia, and it simply means the right to control or govern over, the authority to rule, the right to control. He has power. He has authority. There's nothing in the universe that can look at him and say, you are illegitimate. You have no right. You have no reign. This authority is the same authority that Daniel saw in his vision in chapter 7. Daniel 7 verse 13 says these words, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To give you a recap, Daniel sees in chapter 7 a vision of the nations of the earth raging, coming before God, standing up to find him, trying to show their power, show their might. And then Daniel in verse 13 here in chapter 7 says, one comes and he stands before the Ancient of Days. This one who comes is the Son of Man. 
This is why Jesus so often refers to himself as the Son of Man. He is equating himself with this person in Daniel 7. Going on here, verse 14, it says, And to him was given the kingdom of glory and the kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Again, this is why Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He's claiming to be God. He's proclaiming himself as God. He is telling the world that he has all authority. He has all power. Listen to these words, Acts 2, verse 36. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Christ being Messiah, Lord being sovereign ruler. This Jesus whom you crucified. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority from power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ has been raised from the dead and he's been seated at the right hand, over <coughs> above all rule and authority and power. Colossians 2 verse 10, you have been filled in him in Christ. Who is the head of all rule and authority? First Peter 3, verse 22, he has gone into heaven. He is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is vital. This is crucial that you and I understand this point. He is the king. He is the one with authority. He is the one who has the right to go out and to tell you how you should live your life. He is the one who can stand there and dictate to you, command you, and order you. And as such, we submit to his authority. But it's not just in how he orders his life. I think personally as well, we, we should understand that he has overcome. Those words that we have sung are not just uh, words that sound good together and we can make a nice melody and we got to sing something on Sunday, so we might as well sing this word. No, he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And you need that to be deep within your heart. Because the enemy is going to come at you. The enemy is going to come and he's going to remind you of the, your sinful past. He's going to remind you that you are a nobody. That nobody loves you. Everyone hates you. And you need to grasp the authority that is in you through Christ Jesus and say, I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I have been set free and you have no right or control of my life. We submit to his authority, but we follow his commands. We follow his commission. We go out under the 
authority that he has. So we all laugh at the goofy, amiable demeanor of Barney Fife. Guy who's got the boys stuck in his shirt, he's got the high pitched, squeaky voice. It's like somebody that you can just pick up and wad up and roll down the street or whatever. And yet, in the silly manner that Don Knox played that role to perfection, you forget at times from watching the Andy Griffith show. Realize Marty Fife is able to order the citizens of Mayberry around. Not because he was a strong, confident demeanor of Andy Griffith of Sheriff Taylor, but simply because of the fact that on his chest was that badge. That authority that came from being the deputy sheriff in the town of Mayberry, the badge of Isaiah, the authority of the state of North Carolina, the county or wherever. <clears throat> badge gave him that authority. How much more do we go out? We go out under the banner of the risen Christ, the one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave with the power that he has in this life over this world and above all in heaven and on earth. We must realize, we must understand Christ has all authority in this world. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what happens to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. doesn't matter what happens at the Union General Assembly. Doesn't matter what happens at EU headquarters in Brussels or Belgium or wherever. It doesn't matter what happens in Moscow or Beijing or Berlin or any other capital you might want to think of. Christ is the king of this world. He is the ruler of this world. And we march under his authority, under his banner, and we say, I will do what God has called me to do because I am under his authority. He has all authority. So we have the premise of the Great Commission. Secondly, we have we have the practice, the practice of the commission and premise. Secondly, practice. How does it become a reality? How does the commission go from being a statement that is heard to being a reality that is to be lived? Every hour, President will issue executive orders. He hasn't already commemorated Memorial Day telling us to observe it. Most times we'll never even hear about it. News won't report on it or whatever else like that. And so you wonder sometimes how these orders, how these commissions go from just words to reality. How do we do this? How does the commission become a reality to be lived? Look at verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, typically we'll hear a message like this and we'll think the call to support or 
Even to go as a missionary to the ends of the earth will be given. And it's true. We should pray as Jesus taught us to pray in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, when he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And now laborers are two. This harvest. I'll tell you straight up. I'm praying this prayer for our church. Praying that our kids, many kids that are running around and filling our nursery, filling our Sunday school classes, our young people, perhaps even some of our older saints will feel the call of God and go out and serve the Lord to the ends of the earth. And yes, I realize that this thing indicates you sitting there thinking, well, that's nice of you to pray that over my child. What about yours? Yes, I realize that that prayer may mean that young man with the last name of this one may go follow the call of God wherever they would lead them even to the other ends of the world. And pray this prayer and pray God send out laborers into his harvest. Of course, we rise many. Many of us, most of us here, will not go. We will support. We'll give money. Many of you give regularly to many of the missionaries that we support, even on your own. We'll pack shoe boxes. We'll build Bibles. We'll do a faith Christian school that will go out, make a difference. We'll support financially so that the kingdom of God can be advanced around the world. This is our objective. This is our goal. We'll support and bless those who go praying to God. We'll use them. Next week we'll have an individual here who goes overseas and trains pastors to help them become more effective in their pastoral duties and looking forward to what he's going to share and the vision that God has given him to, to go to the ends of the earth and to share the gospel sometimes even in dangerous countries. Here in a few months, we'll have a young man from the area that some of you will know who will come and share about what God is doing in his life in the country of Columbia. It's exciting that we can partner with them and we can share and bring the gospel and we can play a role. Share over the years many of the stories that we've gotten from those who Receive shoeboxes from different parts of the world that we have packed and stuck a letter in from our church. Bring back and really reached out an email or reached out to Facebook and said, just want you to know I've received those and I'm so glad. But there's something else I want to point out about this verse. It's from a guy named Craig Keener, the University Press Commentary. It says this, making disciples involves going as it had been before. But it says because going or go is a participle, we could read these words as you go. Essentially on your way, implying that one need not cause cause one may not cross our cultural boundaries to fulfill this commission. In other words, the correct translation here 
Zeus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you go, on your way. In other words, it's not just that we pick up and we head to Africa or Asia or South America, although I'm praying that God will do that in and through this church. It is also that you and I, going about our day-to-day lives, are to share and complete the commission that God has given to us. And for some of you, that means being a teacher. You teach children ABCs, one, two, three. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, and by the way, Jesus loves you. Wants to forgive you of your sin. For some, it's a manager. You're paying a living wage. You're teaching a skill, a trade, a craft. And as you do that, you not only offer money for them to live on, but you offer them a bread of life. And I say this for some of you, it's just a moment. A daddy who changes diapers for the 18,000 times is folding endless loads of laundry, plays endless games of Connect Four and Scrabble. Well, I mean, kids play Scrabble, but maybe yours are smarter, I don't know. But as you play these games, you're teaching the children, you're showing them, you're giving them. Maybe it's just you going around and investing in your grandchildren or, or going to doctor's appointments and sharing with your doctor and the nurse that is there. You're sharing, though, as you go. You are fulfilling the commission, telling the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. We go, and as we go, we share Christ. Harkens back to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses said, These words that I command you today will be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you run. Only place my mom and dad had been internationally to the country of Israel on a tourist trip. Mars and not only outside of Canada, it was Niagara Falls that they were finding. I'm so glad that they went and shared Christ with me, my brothers. I don't know if my in-laws have ever been outside of the boundaries of this country. I'm so thankful that they shared Christ. Life. Hopefully, when my children walk away from the house and stand here over my cold, dead body, they will say, He was faithful to witness to Christ. He was faithful. Again, I encourage you this morning think about those, consider those on the front lines making the name of Christ known throughout this world. Also, challenge you to share Christ right where you are. So we go to make disciples of all nations. We don't choose based on race, ethnicity, or gender. 
We don't choose based on whether or not you're an American or whether or not you're here in the country legally or whatever. You're here. We want you to know Christ. We want you to have a relationship with him. We go, we teach, we baptize. You know, not been baptized, we'll speak more of it here a couple weeks before the end of summer when we try to have a baptism service. I want to remind you that we believe baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those have repented and come to faith expressed their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God, the true Israel, and the emblem of burial and cleansing, signifying death to the old life of unbelief. Purification from the pollution of sin. You've never been baptized, talk to me about it. We'd love to share with you what it means. Sign you up when the time comes. We go, we baptize, verse 20, we teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. Disciple is a follower of one who does what the master says, one who observes follows the teachings of the Lord. It's not just that we want you to check your name on a box, but we want you to live the way that God wants us to live. That is what we do. We help our children, our co-workers, our mission field follow the ways of Jesus. Follow the teachings of Jesus. If we never leave the Lehigh Valley or we find ourselves farthest ends of the earth. We have one message. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By believing in him, you can have eternal life. So the premise of the commission, the practice of the commission, finally, finally the promise. The promise. Notice this commission comes with a promise. We begin verse 20. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. With you always. I am with you until time will be no more. Again, I mentioned I started this in December of 2016. Started going through the book of Matthew. Very first chapter. Read these words, Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear his son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, good news according to Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, which is what good news means is that Emmanuel has come. Emmanuel, God, is with us. And now Matthew finishes with that reminder, God is with us. Even until the end of the age, when time will be no more, he will be with you. And I should remind you, I should point out to you that God being with us does not mean bliss, comfort, wealth, health, prosperity. Doesn't mean that. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, 
share the good news of the gospel. Verse 54 says these words, when he heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. A Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Guess what happened to Stephen after that? He stoned him to death. Stoned to death. Oh, read these final words, Second Timothy 4, verse 16, and my first offense, no one, no one came to stand with me, but all deserted me. Many did not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles. I was rescued from the blind. Is this. I wish I could tell you something good, something grossing. Sometimes, as we go and we fulfill this commission, sometimes it means tough roads, tough sledding. Sometimes it means pain and sickness. Sometimes it means rejection, heartache. Now, fortunately, we haven't seen that much in this country. Will there ever be a time when we do? I don't know. If it ever gets to the place, may God give us boldness and grace to stand and say, I will still boldly proclaim the good news. Jesus is alive. He is offering the forgiveness of sin to all who are grieved. Because I know as long as I am fulfilling that commission, whether it's in a hostile country like China, North Korea, or whether it's right here in Wakefield, Pennsylvania, I know as long as I am sharing the good news of the gospel, he will be with me. I line up with one of those haircuts right above my shoulder. Because he has power. He wears the victor's crown. He has authority. He is the king of the world. He is the ruler of all the nations. So, my challenge to you this morning as we finish is this Where would God have you gone? Again, Packing your suitcases and leaving probably doesn't. Maybe it just means being right there in Sailorsburg, right here, Marjor, Wingap, or Zeno. Maybe it means too that morning the stupid alarm clock goes off extra early again. Right back at it, the same old time. Understand you're not just there to drive, you're not just there to teach, you're not just there to send a widget, you're not just there to do whatever, you're there to fulfill the commission that God has given you. Tell that co worker, somebody, 
believe that Jesus loves me. Die for their sins. And the only way loudly to proclaim that. You understand the whole paragraph of God is in the past. Let's pray together this morning, shall we? You're here today. You have not received Christ, you have not accepted his forgiveness. I want to tell you today that God has offered you freely his grace and his forgiveness. I challenge you today, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you have gone. Stands are ready to forgive. Stands are ready since you came. Also, want to challenge you as a believer that maybe you're struggling, wrestling with this idea that He has overcome the sin. Look at the cross and Look at the grave again, realize he's alive, he lives forever more, there is no devil in hell that could defeat you. And I challenge you this morning as well to leave this place, to go with a renewed vision of the mission God has given you. Maybe your mission is filled or to put Paul and her around. Leaving crumbs all over your kitchen floor. That's fine. Go. Go in the boldness of the commission. Share with those dear children's loved ones. Maybe it's a grandkid. Maybe it's a next door neighbor. Maybe it's a co worker. Maybe God is tugging at your heart to sell all that you have and come somewhere to go. He will be with you. He is victorious. He will watch over you all day long. Father, help us to do that. Help us to be a church that goes. God goes all the way from Lehigh Street to the end of this world. Lord, we know you're coming soon. We want to stand there having been our own. Follow the commands of our King. And we can hear you say one day, Come, Lord, give us what you serve. Do that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And while we're standing together, let's close here with this song. We know He wears the picture of Christ.